We are launching into a series called Recalibrate. Last week, we looked at Matthew chapter four about the coming of the kingdom of heaven. And it's a recurring theme throughout all of Matthew. And today we fast forward from Matthew chapter four and jump into Matthew chapter 13. So if you've got your Bibles, you can pull them out, turn them on, uh, open them up, do what you gotta do forward to to Matthew chapter 13. And this is the the second discourse of several in Matthew, where Jesus lays out through story what the kingdom of heaven is all about. And for the bulk of this series, which I'm calling Recalibrate, Parables and the Kingdom of Heaven, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13 and walk week in and week out through the stories and the parables in Matthew chapter 13. So let's dive in. Matthew chapter 13, verse one, we'll put it up on the screen for you. Later the same day, Jesus left the house and sat beside the lake. A large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Then he sat there and taught as the people stood on the shore. He told many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across his field, some seeds fell in the footpath, the birds came, and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plants soon wilted until under the hot sun. We know a little bit about hot sun in Texas, right? I heard an amen over there. And since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil. And they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. His disciples came to him and asked, why do you use parables when you talk to the people? Jesus was sitting by a lake, a crowd gathered, and he began to tell a story. And at the end of the story, the disciples don't ask, what was the meaning of that story? They say, Jesus, back up. We think we've missed something. Why are you telling parables in general? What's what's the use of this modality for telling truth? Because aren't you coming with a new kingdom that we need to tell people about the rules and and the functions and you're going to stand up and you're going to lead us? Stories are powerful. But the disciples' expectation was not meeting up with reality. And the truth is, humanity is enraptured by stories. It's the most common way that we communicate. Your spouse comes home from work, you ask the question, how was your day? You will hear a story, likely good or bad. There are multi-billion dollar industries centered around telling stories through film, through music. And have you ever read a book? I think you have. You're a smart bunch this morning. We tell stories. It's the way that we frame the human existence. And Jesus came not with force and with triumph, but with stories and humility. Remember growing up, we would take a trip out out west. I've got a lot of family sprinkled along I-5 in Oregon and and Washington. And uh, we would meet up at my, my aunt's house, Auntie D. And while we were there, it'd be my, my dad and my, my uncle Gib and my auntie Dee, and we, they would get around and they'd start telling stories. And they grew up, children and a family of seven, so there were four others, but they were the youngest, the three at the youngest, that were kind of this 
kind of this tight-knit bunch. They grew up on a farm, and man, they had some stories about all the different adventures that they would get into. And all of a sudden, we'd look at our, at our, at our watches and look at the time and say, it's 11 o'clock at night. Where did the time go? And on the way home, my dad would kind of look at me with a chuckle and say, you know, I was telling a lot of stories tonight, but your aunt and uncle were telling lies about me, right? And that's kind of that, that sibling rivalry going back and forth. But stories open up windows into reality. It transports you to a different time and a different place. And it gives us the ability to make the complex simple and the simple complex. So Jesus answers his disciples the question, why do you use parables when you talk to the people? Verse 11 of Matthew chapter 13. His disciple, uh, he, he replied, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. That is why I use these parables. For they look, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really listen or understand. This fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah that says, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened. Their ears cannot hear. They have closed their eyes and their eyes cannot see. Their ears cannot hear. Their hearts cannot understand. And they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. I tell you the truth. Many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but they didn't see it. And they long to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. Jesus tells stories to aid in understanding. To catch the truth found in a story, you must be paying attention to the story. If you're not, right over the top of your head. And Jesus not only wants us to understand, but he ups the stakes in our work to recalibrate and reorient ourselves. We must be willing to apply ourselves in the pursuit of the kingdom. What Jesus does through stories is welcome us into the narrative of the kingdom, the narrative of salvation, and tell us there is more for you to learn. And the way that you learn it is engaging with the stories that I tell. When you engage with the stories that I tell, you will be receptive to the kingdom of heaven. Receptivity to the kingdom of heaven begins with hearing. We know and we learn and we grow into the kingdom of heaven by hearing the words of Jesus. And we've got to put some work in ourselves. We can't just walk away from a story Jesus says and like, Oh, that's great. Thank you, Jesus. Because we're going to look at a moment where Jesus explains exactly what he means by this parable. And I, like you, would probably like if Jesus would just kind of be a little bit more clear about some things out of this book, right? But that would make us lazy and we wouldn't be intellectually honest about our faith. You see, when we're invited into the story of scripture, it takes work. And we're, we're not afraid. Of, well, we might be afraid of it, but we're, we're, this isn't unknown to us. Because the relationships that we have with, with our families and with our coworkers, they take work. A relationship with your spouse takes work. A relationship with your kids takes work. A relationship with your pets takes work. Unless you have some fish or something that can just, I don't know. You gotta go walk the dog, right? It takes work. 
Jesus is always ready to explain the kingdom to those who are seeking and understanding. If you're seeking Jesus, he is ready and able to give to you an understanding of his truths. And to illustrate this point, Jesus heads back to the parable. And he begins to break it down. Matthew chapter 13, verses 18 through 23. Now, listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom of heaven and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced. The seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, no, 60, or even 100 times as much as has been planted. The main thrust of this parable is about dirt. And Jesus says the dirt represents people. So take with that, run with it, however far you want. But he uses this to tell us about what understanding means. He looks towards the road, the path that has been trotted down and, and says that path, when seed is scattered on it, there is nothing that welcomes that seed to allow it to grow. And the enemy comes and snatches that seed away. This represents people who hear about the kingdom of God, but do nothing about it. And it's sad that the world that we live in today predisposes us to being a hard road more than any time in human history. And here's how. Neil Postman, in his book, Amusing Ourselves to Death, puts it this way. In both oral and typographical cultures, information derives its importance from the possibility of action. Information is important to the degree that you can act upon it. If you got a phone call that says, hey, someone's in the hospital, you should come, what do you do? You go to the hospital. If someone you're you know, about to step into a road and somebody says, hey, don't do that, and they pull in the back of your shirt, that's useful information to know that a, that a car is coming and you would have been in danger. And Neil Postman in his book talks about the advent of our culture today didn't come about with television or, or radio or even the internet. No, he said the revolution in our culture began in the late 1800s with the advent of the telegraph. You ever used one of those before? I didn't think so. I haven't either. A little Morse code, right? But now with the telegraph, with some wires stretched between different cities, you can send a message. Before the telegraph, you knew just about what was going on in your local community. And if Fred's barn down the road is burning down, you heard about it, you run with a bucket and some water and help your neighbor out. But now you could hear about a barn burning down hundreds of miles from you. And what would you do with that information but consume it as entertainment? That... and. Today, the world that we live in, we consume thousands of hours of information, much of, with, of which does not cause us to act in any type of way, but to flick our thumb a little bit more. We know so the information is, is rampant in our world. 
and our society is hooked on being able to take in information without having the responsibility to actually act upon it. We look like it sometimes, you know, disaster happens halfway around the world. We send a little bit of money, like GoFundMe, little thoughts and prayers go up online. And I, I don't want to discredit prayer. It's been a whole sermon series on that, right? But when we take in information, does it cause us something inside of us to happen? Can we act on it? Neil continues, for the first time in human history, after the telegraph, people were faced with the problem of information glut, which means that simultaneously they were faced with the problem of a diminished social and political potency. He continues on talking about our world today. It is a world without much coherence or sense, a world that does not ask us, indeed does not permit us to do anything. A world that is like the child's game of peekaboo, entirely self-contained, but endlessly entertaining. Tough words. It's found in scripture, the lesson to learn. There's a second soil, it's, it's, it's rocks. And this soil, Jesus says, represents those who, who first hear about the word of God and they're excited about it, but when the rubber meets the road, yeah, I don't know if Jesus is for me. This soil represents those who are, that see the gospel as a way of escape from suffering but not deliverance from sin. That Jesus is like a nice band-aid that will kind of placate the pain and hurt that I feel now, but he's not actually the answer for my deepest longings. I can find that somewhere else. Thank you, Jesus. When the gospel begins to make demands of our lives, the rocky soil says, yeah, this was nice knowing you. I'm out. Not, I'm not down for that. Third soil is the weeds that the seed is thrown am sown amongst the weeds. And I don't know uh, if any of you garden or maybe you have flower boxes around your house. You know, those pesky weeds can like pop up anywhere, right? You put out the, the, the landscaping paper and you like do all the right things and you let it set for a while and you come back and like, where did these come from, right? Weeds grow where you allow them to. Sin grows where we allow it to. And by the way, sin can grow anywhere. The same way that weeds. Weeds can grow in some God-forsaken land. But grace must be cultivated. Remember as a student at Southwestern, uh, worked on grounds for a couple of years. Uh, did you know, Southwestern has very many rosebush, very many planter around very many different buildings on their campus. And I can remember with an overturned bucket on the ground, sitting there talking with my friends as we're working, weed in the bucket, weed in the bucket, in the bucket. And it was never ending. You finish one and you're on to the next. And by the time you finish, you come back around and there's more weeds than the one that you started with. Weeds grow anywhere that we allow them to. This soil, Jesus says, is the soil that has allowed something else to pop up that will choke out the good news of the gospel. So the question we must ask ourselves is what voices or influences are we allowing to take root in our heart that might choke out the good news of the gospel? I would wager that a good portion of our society pays more attention to the 24-7 news cycle than they do to the word of God found in scripture. And it shows but all hope is not lost. There's a fourth soil and it's known as the good 
ground. Jesus says this is the person who see, who hears and understands, and that person will produce fruit. There's something inside of that person that when the gospel seed is planted, it germinates, it's nurtured, and it grows. We don't often see it right away. The little seed in the ground, they get hidden for a couple of days or weeks, but finally, fruit produced in our lives. And that is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven begins with planted seeds. That there was one day, whether it was a parent or a Sabbath school teacher, someone in your life planted a seed in the garden of your heart. A little seed about Jesus. And it wasn't this grandiose theology or this kind of big heady stuff. No, it was simple as Jesus loves me. This I know because the Bible's what tells me so. And that little seed has grown in your life and grown in your life and grown in your life. And it is now producing fruit. Now we'll talk in a moment. There might be some areas that there's some rocks and there's some weeds and there's, there's a road before a moment. Let us rejoice about the good ground that's been cultivated in our hearts by none other than Jesus Christ himself. Like how Michael Green puts it in the message of Matthew commentary. He says, the kingdom comes when the soil and the seed get together. In this parable, Jesus is the sower. He's the one that's sowing the seed and the gospel is the seed. And the kingdom of heaven, when the seed of the gospel is sown in your heart by none other than Jesus Christ himself, the kingdom of heaven happens and it begins to grow. And there are two givens in this passage that we've ignored so far. And that is that of the the sower and the seed. The story does not give any qualification about when the sower goes out to sow or his thought process in going out to sow. It simply says the sower goes to sow. It assumes that the farmer is going to be sharing seeds. Jesus uses this as an illustration about his ministry and his relationship with us that he is constantly sowing seeds of gospel grace to fall on all kinds of soil. The sower and the seed never change. What changes in this parable is the soil on which it falls. And you see, we look at this story and we say, Jesus, the sower is out of his mind. He's wasting good seed on bad soil. In fact, Three quarters of the soil that he's throwing his seed on is bad soil. What gives? I would offer to you today that grace is found in this story. And the beauty of grace in this this story is that the sower sows indiscriminately. The good news of the gospel is for everyone. It's for you and it's for me and for the one watching online and, and for those that are in our community and in our county, and in our state, and for the entire world, the sower sows gospel seeds, not caring where it lands. Well, kind of. We'll get to that in a moment. In the sower and the seed, we possess a never-changing gospel, and we bring it to an ever-changing world. The heart of Jesus is found here, that the gospel in Jesus Christ never changes but it is good news for an ever-changing world. I like how author and songwriter John Mark McMillan puts it. 
The heart of my maker is spread out on the road, the rocks, and the weeds. That's where Jesus' heart is. The road, the rocks, and the weeds. Because he desires that all would have good soil cultivated inside of them. And maybe one day the road gets plowed and cultivated. Maybe one day the rocks get pulled out. Maybe one day the weeds are pulled. Maybe one day when the seed of the gospel is planted, it will germinate and grow. I've often heard this parable applied outward facing. You look at this parable and you can use it as a metric to judge people who aren't in the church anymore. That, ah, okay, yeah, they did this, this, and that. That rocky soil is in that heart. Uh, weedy soil is in that heart. Uh, they're, they're as hard-packed as a road. Like, mercy. And we use it as an excuse to say, like, oh, they're just, it was bad soil. Like, of course, it was faulty from the beginning. But that's not how Jesus uses this parable. Because he's speaking to his disciples to help them understand something about themselves. This parable was and is deeply personal. Jesus wants us to recalibrate our lives from the ground up. That's how you change a life. Start at the most basic life-giving platform, and that's dirt. It's where we started as humanity, Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And it's where we are reformed and recreated in humanity. Michael Green again, message of Matthew commentary. The parable was meant to challenge people to think again. It was meant to be a mirror in which they could see what they really look like. It was intended to draw the hearers to decision and to give them room to do so precisely like the incarnation himself. There's grace for all. As the mirror is turned towards us, the question is, what is the condition of the soil of my heart? As I receive the good news of the gospel, do I dismiss it and do nothing about it? Or when I receive the good news of the gospel, do I embrace it and it's good for a time, but when the rubber meets the road, yeah, it doesn't actually serve my deepest longings. Or is there something I'm holding on to that every time I hear the gospel, I hear a lie in my mind and the lie is choking out the good news of the gospel or in my heart, is there good soil? Is there good soil? Remember when Melissa and I were living in Barron Springs, Michigan, uh, if you know anything about Southwestern Michigan, it's a very fertile place in our country. Many different farms. We so enjoyed going, picking peaches and, and blueberries and apples. And it just always loved every season because of all the fruit that it bore. And right behind some of the uh, uh, graduate student housing is this plot of land that somebody would till every year. And they would kind of divide it into sections. And if you called the right person, you could rent a, a little garden plot. And Melissa and I talked about it, like, hey, maybe, maybe we should pick up gardening while we're here. And that's about as far as that conversation went. But we had some friends who enjoyed gardening and rented out their plot. And one of my friends came to me one day and says, hey, would you guys like some zucchini? I said, yeah, we like some zucchini. He says, okay, I'll bring some to class later on today. So get to class, he comes in, he's got this big bag, like, you know, like big paper bag of zucchini. And I expect him to offer some to me and I can look in the bag and I can reach out the zucchini that I think we can use and then, you know, kind of go on with the day. But no, he puts the whole bag of zucchini in my lap and says, here you go, here's some zucchini for you. And I look inside and I kid you not, these zucchinis were the size of my forearm, like elbow to hand. 
I even took them out to my truck and like put it by the windshield wiper just to compare how large these things were. And let me tell you, we ate zucchini bread and zucchini pancakes and zucchini stir fry. And we were Googling, how can you, how can you make zucchini? Felt like weeks. Our blood had turned green. We really enjoyed the fruit of my friend's labor. He had done the hard work and we got to eat some really good zucchini dishes. We all want to live fruitful lives and receive good fruit, the product of labor, but we don't often want to actually put in the hard work. That we're okay receiving the fruit of someone else's spiritual life. That it's enough to come here, Pastor Michael, every week. He's been in the word. Yeah, you bet. He's been talking to God. Let me just get a little bit of fruit from him. Let me encourage you that the fruit of the tree of life found in scripture is available for you today. You can receive it personally. And it begins with a cultivated heart. The garden of the heart must be cultivated. You must do some hard work to allow the gospel to take root in your heart. One more story about plants and trees, is that okay? Again, grounds, Southwestern, worked there for about two years, very transformational for me. And there's kind of a space between the cafeteria and scales, the, the science building, where there's this row of trees. And about 10 years ago, one afternoon, our boss comes to the work crew and says, hey, this afternoon, we're gonna be planting some trees. We're like, great, how do we do that? He says, don't worry, I'll show you the first one and then you guys just, just work on down the line. And so we get to this spot and, and he says, this is the, the, the place where the, the holes need to go. And, and he marks them, he says, okay, you need to dig down this deep and, and this wide, and then you need to cut the, the ball of the root in a certain way, you need to put it in there. And then there's water and then there's soil and there's fertilizer. And then we put these bags on there that you fill up with water, that kind of trickle water in there. Put the little wires to kind of keep the trees straight because they were about as thick as my pinky finger and then stood about yay, yay tall. And so we planted those trees. Fast forward about a decade. I walk on Southwestern's campus fairly often. I drive around. And as I pass in between the cafeteria and the science building, I am reminded of what our crew planted 10 years ago. The trees that were this big and yay tall, I now have to look up to. And they've, they've grown. Yeah, I think there was five of them, four made it, like, you know, four out of five is okay, right? Uh, they had to replant one of the other ones. But taking time to cultivate and plant produces fruit in the long run. If you want a spiritual life, if you want to be engaged in the kingdom of God, begin to cultivate until the soil of your heart you look at today and see the mirror say, yeah, I've got some good soil in there because I know that the gospel has taken root in this area of my life, in this area. But there might be a road, a rock, or some weeds where you and Jesus need to do a little bit of work. And I invite you to sit down beside the master gardener. He's a great physician. He's also a master gardener. Say, Jesus, what part of my heart needs, needs, needs a little bit of work? What ground do we need to till? And where are you going to be planting gospel seeds that will take root, germinate, will take root and produce fruit 
that I can then share with the people around me. Which soil will we cultivate in our hearts? Personally and corporately, what soil are we gonna cultivate as the King Church? I hope and I pray that it's good ground whereas the gospel is sown, that it takes root in our hearts and it produces a harvest, 30, 60, 100, because of the faithfulness of the sower who went out to sow. I wanna finish with a poem. It comes from one of my favorite poets, Malcolm Geit. I really appreciate Austin for sharing with me a couple of his books. He says this in his poem, The Sower, also known as Good Ground. I love your simple story of the sower with all its close attention to the soil, its movement from the knowledge to the knower, its take on the tenacity of the, so of the toil. I feel the fall of seed a sower scatters, so equally available to all. Your story takes me strength straight to all that matters, yet understands the reasons why I fall. Oh, deep in me where I am thin and, and shallow, uproot in me the thistle and the thorn. Keep far from me that swiftly snatching shadow that seizes on your seed to mock and scorn. Oh, break me open, Jesus, set me free. Then find and keep your own good ground in me. Lord, find and keep your own good ground in us.